welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? How you been doing? Just checking in today. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is your girl Diamond, and I have a special guest for y'all. It's always somebody special, but this is somebody really, really special to me because they are. Let me ask you this, because I know you're going, you have gone through a couple of shifts in your um identity, how you, you know, all that kind of stuff. So when I first met you, you were your pronouns were he, him, and his and all that kind of stuff are they still that or have they shifted to somewhere else um they're still he but i include they okay so cool more expansive great so i met them at a time in my life when you know i was exploring and learning so much about other trans people's um experiences and I feel this is in, you know, my um, my little bubble. When I was watching people, one of the most insightful people that I had the pleasure of watching was this person, Xavier Hogue. And their name on YouTube was Laid Back. <laughs> yeah, <we're too> cute. <laughs> and why they were so special to me was... They were very, very just super, super self-reflective. They really talked about their experience in depth. Even though they were young, they still were talking about their experience with a depth of a person who was older with a lot of wisdom. And I learned so much from X. And I always have wanted to sit down and have a conversation with him and pick his brain about, you know, all the things that is him. And so... I welcome Xavier on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to finally be here. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time listening to the conversations that I sometimes have to take a break from the podcast. It's just, they, they get deep. Like, y'all be going in. <laughs> we do. We try to, um, we try to be not super, super deep all the time, but mm. you know, we try to talk about it, talk about stuff and really talk about it in a real way. So you know, mm-hmm. I appreciate you listening. So tell me about your history in regards to where you grew up, your family, mm-hmm. anybody that um, made you feel loved, made you feel special, made you feel cared for. Who were the people that was your family unit growing up? Oh, my goodness. So this gets really interesting. So first of all, a lot of people don't know I'm actually from Maryland. I was born D.C., however. Um, and I spent a lot of As time. As if people can't hear it in your damn voice. <laughs> Some people have thought I was from like New York, from like the, the, like places I've never even been. I'm like, where you get that from? But um, so I, I grew up in this little corner of the DMV. Most of my family is split out in, in between that area, D.C., Maryland and Virginia. So I have a little bit of accent from all those places. But um, my my influences and like the people that I kept close to me growing up 
by default was my mom's side of the family. I had a little bit of beef there, you know, coming out. And I never was really vocal about it until like the last two years because stuff happened. But for the most part, my father's side of the family had been really accepting. Like, all right, when I started my YouTube channel, I did not have to ask them to subscribe. They literally just started following me. And um, when I would go down to visit them in Virginia, they would just um, start start conversations with me about the content that I was posting on my social media. And I didn't even know they were following me half the time. So it was really like warming and eye opening that when I was 18, 19 years old, like you said, I was a young person. When I was 18, 19 years old, I had people support me quietly. I had people supporting me in a loud way as well. Um, and my father I will also always add is a huge support. You know, like I talk about having um, like PMDD, which is a period you know, disorder where it's extremely heavy. It's, it's more than just regular PMS. And he he always showed up in my life to advocate for me if it came to issues with the schools. He um he would bring me supplies if I needed it, clothes. He would take me out, you know, whatever the case was, he was definitely like there most of my life. Like the reason why I have the editing skills that I have, the creativity, the confidence is because my father has done such a thorough job in instilling a sense of confidence and comfort in me. Like when I was young, people used to stare at me and he would just go, oh, they just they they just think you are you, you you're gorgeous. They think you're beautiful. They think you're handsome. You know, he was always affirming in those ways. And it, it was something I saw he never even had to think about. Like it never crossed his mind to to disrespect me, to want to disown me or anything of that nature. Mm. How did that. Later on in your life, how did that that kind of acceptance or that kind of love from him? um show up in positive ways later on in your relationships? Well, I really didn't recognize it again until recently because I'm 32 years old now. And it was only through the contrast of experiences with other individuals that I realized how important it was and how imperative it is for someone like him to be in anybody's life. Like anybody should have somebody like that on their side. Um, And so it just showed me how to also do that for other people, how to be selfless, um, how to be assured and being a nice person. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people scared to be nice. Like everybody want to be savage. You know, a lot of people want to be, you know, defensive. A lot of people have a guard up, but when it comes to my dad, it's like, he has no awareness of those things. You know, he's housed homeless people in in this very house before. Um, So I just learned how to be a support for other individuals. Mm. Did you ever, like, when it comes to the other side of your family, like your mom's side, how did their lack of showing up for you in the, you know, almost like the opposite of your father? Was it the opposite or was it kind of? I'm going to say, I wouldn't say it's like a a polarized situation. I would say it was more just like a spectrum of spotty coverage. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you hear me now? No, I'm not really feeling that. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you know what? I get that. Like, when I started dating, like guys they were genuinely confused while the other side of the family they they, they didn't care they never mentioned it it was like whatever that's your business do you um you know just some individuals like i had a a uncle my mom's brother who literally blamed me for his family having um queerness he blamed me for pregnancies. He blamed me for all kinds of weird stuff that I'm like, yo, your children have entire lives away from me. Like that has nothing to do with me. But, you know, he did, he, he didn't contact me or my mom for years based on me being out 
as a masculine person or as a lesbian for for many years and it was just little stuff like that like sometimes there would be a little bit of beef here and there you know what i'm saying people make saying like anti lgbt anti-queer stuff and i didn't i literally forgot about it mm-hmm. you know because we would still be family you know we still hang out we still go places and i didn't realize until recently how much exception there was in, in some of the circles in the family when i'm like wait y'all going to florida y'all going to price is right y'all going here y'all going there but nobody called me but then you get mad when i don't know certain information about people's health or what's going on in the family so that's when i was like wait a minute i've had accommodations from people on the internet i've had better interactions with strangers i've had better interactions with people on the street you know compared to some of my family on my mom's side so i was just like nah i gotta leave y'all where y'all at like it is what it is so it's it's being so so for short though i just didn't even think about it as something toxic until it became like important for me to have a good support system like you for instance like i've been following you since i was like 17. So one of the reasons why I even went on YouTube was because I saw that you had a presence and that you could be a black trans person on the internet and out. Like I've been on the internet doing live journal <laughs> for many years before I got to YouTube. So I was like, well, let me put a face to some of the things that I write. Cause people will always assume I was white when I would write, mm. you know, part of that probably is the depth of my, my communication, but it was also just cause that's the predominant audience you know that's the predominant you know image you see when you talk about trans people is white people so i said let me go to youtube especially trans men especially i think part of it is you know growing up urban if you if you don't live in some suburb being an urban trans person it's it's a constant threat i i don't i don't live in the urban area so much as other people do so i have some like flexibility and how I can show up in my own life and walk out the door and feel confident. But if I had to go to an apartment that was on the front street all the time, I don't know how comfortable I would really feel, you know, coming out the way I do sometimes. So it's, it's, it's this thing where you got to sort of be anonymous mm. as a, as a black trans person, as a black masculine trans person. I think anybody can relate to that, but I'm just saying as a masculine person, I've just had to learn how to navigate being stealth. Mm-hmm. I'm out. I'm all over the internet, but a lot of people in my day to day interactions don't know I'm trans. Mm. You know what I loved about you that really inspired me, even when I was, and I'm, I'm I appreciate you saying that. You know, uh, I had any way inspired you to be <laughs> online or anything like that, but because you definitely watching you definitely inspired me about the nuances that I wasn't exploring about my own identity. The nuances. I was a binary bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trust was, me, I know. I know. You know, so it was like, so when you started to make these kind of analysis that were shifting, like what I thought about, and I was like, oh, he's on, he's on to something. Uh, I really appreciated it, even though I wasn't ready. And, you know, in some cases still not, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> hey. um, but ready to be open and to understand and hear you go through what you're going through and and not just going through right now, but do you talk about your experience and how it's shifting and waxing and waning in different, um, different areas of your life. I really appreciated the nuance that you added to your experiences as, as a trans person. It was always something that, um, you know, I, I wanted to do, I felt like I always did. I felt like there is because we are black, urban, um, trans people. 
I did not want it to, when I got, when I started to make my content, I did not want it. There, there are going to be some things that are similar to us, but I wanted to share the nuances that happen. Every one of us does not agree. Every one of us do not come to our womanhood or our manhood or our non-binaryness or wherever our masculinity or femininity, we don't hit it off from the same place. So I always appreciated you for showing that new nuance. At a young age, because if you're starting off at 17, 18, in regards to sharing your story, what made you get that? There's a certain level of wisdom to that. What made you get there? I think it's innate, honestly, um, mm. that I remember being as young as three or four years old and saying, wait, I'm not going to say this right now. I'm going to wait till I have the words so I could be understood the first time, not the second. Mm. Um, I used to love dictionaries. I used to love um watching like indie films because they get more in depth with emotion and how it's portrayed so I just really took a lot of interest in expression um and just found it important to develop that part of me especially because I lived in a a, 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 a society that wants to beat on you physically the more you can buy time with your tongue the less you use your body to posture the more chance you sometimes have if you have that level and access to certain types of intelligence so developing my emotional senses was was extremely important to my survival you're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101 now listen i know that what is basic trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you so this is for your basic ass. What's basic <laughs> for me in this life could be just the beginning for you. Trans 101. Yeah. Trans. Come and get your Trans 101. Trans 101. I know that intersectionality is fucking y'all motherfuckers up this week. <laughs> I see how it is really, really tough for y'all to understand that there are people at multiple intersections of oppression. Let me blow your mind. There are black trans people. <laughs> there are black queer people. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who would have thunk it? If you go by the analysis of black men, black cisgender people who support Dave Chappelle, you wouldn't think that there were any Black, queer people, black, trans people at all. You would think it was only white because that's the extent of their analysis when they are defending being held accountable for the bullshit that they are saying. I am tired of the hypocrites when it comes to the it's just jokes, motherfuckers. Because when it's your shit, it's not just jokes. When it's about you. When you got some rich, racist white man talking about calling black women roaches or nappy-headed hoes, or when you got the comedians dressing up as women like Medea and all the big comedians got to dress up as women to get on 
then it's, oh, they emasculating the black man. It's not just jokes. It's not just funny. It's not just jokes then. It's serious. I am also tired of oppressed oppressors acting like they are too fucking stupid to understand how they contribute to other motherfuckers' oppression. We focused on black men right now, but you white women listen to this too. Because y'all seem just like black men can't understand how their male privilege and their misogyny wears us the fuck out. You white women have an issue with this, but flip it to gender. Y'all can feel immediately when there's some misogyny. Y'all can immediately see when you're being oppressed because you're a female. But you cannot see how you add to racial oppression by ignoring the privilege of your whiteness. That's probably why y'all motherfuckers work so well together. Y'all got one motherfucking eye. You got an eye for gender and black men got an eye for race. And so when y'all come together, y'all make two eyes, two good eyes. But y'all still got them broke, ugly, bad eyes (laughs) that clearly ain't working every time some shit come out of y'all mouth. But this ain't about y'all white women. I got a break today. This is on the black men. You know what I'm tired of you motherfuckers? The premise that y'all like to throw out. There's this false idea that somehow the gays are coming up faster. Sweetie, on the books, now we know. With practice, the cultural practice doesn't come just because some laws change. But racial discrimination has been on the books since 1964. Now, like I said, I know that cultural practice does not change when the laws change or when something gets on the books. But let's just talk about what's on the books. It it has been illegal to discriminate against black people since 1964. Now, remember, that's technically, I know the culture don't change as quick as them papers being signed. Technically, on the books, it has been illegal to discriminate against gay people, sexual orientation. Remember, there's a difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. But illegal to discriminate against them since 1994. So 30 years later is when the gays got That technical protection, because we knew the culture didn't change, okay? When it comes to gender identity, we didn't get the workforce protection until last year, 2020, June. June 15th, to be exact. How many years is that since 1964? 55, 56 years? Stonewall happened in 69? So it then took... You know, over 50 years to get trans people protections. So it's not going. So the, so the idea that queer people is going fast, it's a lie. We're just now getting specific rights. We're just now being able to not hide. We're just now being able to have protections so that we can work without people firing us. Black people already have that. 
remember, <laughs> now I know full, I know y'all not that bereft to think that I'm saying that culturally, <laughs> once 1964 happened, it wasn't any kind of racial discrimination. Come on now, we ain't that slow. I don't need to explain that. What I'm saying is on the record, technically, that's when the protections were supposed to start. And that's when the shift in culture started to happen. 1964. Sexual orientation got on the books in 1994 with the end of bill. Gender identity got protected on the books 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. I guess I was feeling real sorry since motherfuckers was dying. <laughs> so the idea that queer people is getting getting faster <laughs> results than black people is a lie. Queer, black, trans people have been dealing with racial, homophobic, transphobic discrimination for decades. All of that shit compounded, wearing us out. And we're just now coming to the light. You just now hearing our stories on shows and movies and shit. We just now protected in all three areas. When the last time did, have we seen a George Floyd level march for a queer person? When have we seen a George Floyd level march for a trans person being murdered by the police? Tony McDade got killed by the police too. <laughs> Wasn't nobody even talking about him. Like that was forced down for, for it was forced for us to talk about Tony McDade. It was forced. Because we like how now we got a voice. We got the internet to be able to say, look, this is somebody else who got murdered. Y'all ain't even doing no George Floyd protest that level for black women. We had to literally create a hashtag to say her name because black women were being erased out of the narrative of police brutality. Period. Black cishet men are always the center. Y'all always got motherfuckers to rally behind you. Always. Even when you dead wrong, you got your diehard clowns out here shucking and jiving for you at the courthouse. Look at R. Kelly. Clowns. Yes, white LGBT folks that have money, they have a certain semblance of power. But even them, yes, Kevin Hart got his opportunity to host the Oscars taken away. Yeah, he did. But you know what? That really didn't get taken away from him. Because all he had to do was apologize. He wasn't even being like, no, he can't do it at all. Them motherfuckers said all he had to do was apologize. He chose not to apologize. He, he let his ego keep him away from that job. He still could have did the job. All he had to do was apologize. Yes, there are going to be some powerful white gays with some coins that sometimes can pull some strings and make shit happen. A perfect laid out example of this is a book called The Deviant Wars by Eric Cervini. It has tons of white gays pulling strings, making shit happen 
after wrongness has been done to them. Absolutely. It's going to be that. But more than likely, the people who are affected by your jokes, by your culture of disgust around trans people, your culture of homophobia around queer people, your violence against masculine women. I, I keep hearing a lot of queer people talking about how it's just jokes. And I'm like, he was talking about beating a masculine woman's ass. And that is a problem that masculine women tell us all the time that they don't feel safe around cisgender men because they get violent. And as a black woman, myself, a trans black woman, I have to understand the feeling because we know how, who are beating our ass and who are killing us, who are who is the culprit of intimate partner violence who is the person who is wearing us out we know we know what the st the stats are so it's strange for me to see people even within our community not understanding how what he is saying is a problem and it's not just jokes those jokes affect the most marginalized people those jokes I don't have rich white gay money to protect me from the nigga on the bus who don't want me to sit or the train who don't want me to sit next to him because you have incited his anger against the alphabet people. So now he's calling me impossible pussy or or I, the ABCDFG motherfuckers or the alphabet people and all the things that you put in his mind to say to me. Did you put, did, are you forcing him to attack me? No, but you're giving him the fodder to use to wear me out. And I don't have the rich white money to get me off this motherfucking bus. So I'm not, so I'm not exposed to these ignorant, uneducated motherfuckers. I don't have the rich white money to insulate myself from the harm that you cause me as a black LGBT person. And that's what you're not understanding. The white people in some circumstances may have the power to wear you out, to cancel people, da, da, da. even though I said, once again, even the baby, honey, he got his little apology. He back on the roster. He back doing his thing. He's still making his coins. Ain't nobody fucking canceled except for fucking Crochette Michelle. <laughs> she the one who barely can work now. But even her. And that's a and you know, it's a whole other class conversation. This is a millionaire talking about stop punching down on my people. We talking about you. Your people is millionaires. It's not black people. I know you dog whistling to poor black people to make them think your people is black. But really, when you say your people, it's millionaires. That's who your people is. We are ca calling you out for the shit that you are saying and using your huge platform. We're calling you out. Don't try to say you, uh, you, you stop punching down on my people. Bitch, ain't nobody punching down on you when you sitting up in that luxury home in Ohio with your Asian woman. You ain't down, motherfucker. You a millionaire. You protected. You're insulated.
And this doesn't mean that racism is not wearing us out. This doesn't mean that the white man on the hill is not a problem just like you. But you are inciting the nigga in the valley to fuck with us. Throwing the stone and hiding your hand. You are punching down, period. And don't nobody give a fuck about your white um, comedian friend that you want to parade all out like y'all was the best of friends. Get the fuck out of here. We, 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 we know that game. White people <laughs> pull that card out. One of my best friends are black. And he lets me call him nigger. He doesn't say anything when I sing nigger in a song. He likes the joke of me being in blackface. <laughs> we know that game. That game old and stupid. Fuck out of here. But anyway, that's enough of me talking about Dave Chappelle. I'm just tired of the idea of everybody pretending like there are not black queer people, black trans people dealing with the ramifications of what all you motherfuckers are saying about us, erasing us from the narrative because you want to have this shallow racial analysis because you don't want to be held accountable for your bullshit. Your statements are going to disproportionately affect black, trans, black, LGBT people. So when you talk about beating us, fucking with us, calling us different names and derogatory shit and bullying us, it's going to affect us on the bottom, period. And that's what you need to be held accountable for. I don't give a fuck about canceling you. We know you got millions. We know you already got a check from Netflix. We know you got the power to insulate yourself from being canceled. Most of y'all motherfuckers do. You already got paid. That don't stop us from trying to hold you accountable for the disgusting contribution that you add to the culture of transphobia in America. And I'm really kind of tired of having this conversation about intersectionality. I'm really tired of it. Y'all love to throw it around like you know what the fuck you talking about. Like Kimberly Crenshaw, you know, like you really broke down the theory, motherfucker. Y'all throw it around, these fucking buzzwords, like y'all know. But you don't fucking know. You don't know how to put it in practice. But anyway, fuck Dave Chappelle, any motherfucker that don't get what I'm saying. This has been a trans 101. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community and i know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because i put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch i am community is fuck (laughs) so thank you i really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron Why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and 
show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. You shared your experience of getting on moans, getting on testosterone, and and how it affected you, why you wanted to do it. And then you shifted to where you weren't on testosterone anymore. You stopped. Can you talk about that shift? Because I think a lot of people um, would benefit from seeing um, or hearing how you navigated that space. So can you talk about what made you get on hormones? And then, and not just from a, oh, oh I'm trans. So, so I'm <laughs> yeah, no, just, it's always know, more than that. Yeah, it's more than that. that. And then how you made the decision to still be trans and get off hormones <laughs> <laughs> and um, in, that, in that space from your point of view. Well, the first thing is I, I, I use trans and I don't really care for it. I always have known that there are other communities and ways of existing in the world and in yourself that don't necessarily need language, but we need language. So that's the closest term that I have come to adopt. But in my personal life, I tend to use two-spirit. Um, it's just other terms that I prefer to use. Uh, but Why two-spirit? We had a whole big thing about two-spirit and Native American people. On um, so why two-spirit? My family, we Negroes. We is Negroes, okay? We met in the woods and said, hey, you brown too? Them folk over there trying to kill us. Let's learn about each other's culture. And so the Native American, you know, parts of the family met with the African parts of the family. And I had my whole spiritual journey. I never shared it, but I had a whole spiritual journey where I realized those were two very important parts of myself that I have two different sides or, you know, experiences from two different continents that culturally show up in my life every day. But we literally just don't put words to it because that is being stolen from us. It's being used against us when we do identify as, you know, with the customs and ideals that we truly, truly do have. And just don't know how to publicly navigate because we're always trying to like reconciliate the issue of the public norm and also our private lives. So personally, like using trans is just I, I tend to stick to the transcendent part of it versus transitional. Gotcha. But it, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's life out here. So. Language is not sufficient. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I'm a very nonverbal person. I, I am. Um, but choosing to go on testosterone i was like when i was young i knew as early as like three or four years old that my body was different than how i felt um and that is why i've always been into scientific research not just about trans people but about humans and one of the things that i learned about humans is that things can be in the brain that are not necessarily present in the body um you can be a female and not have a vaginal opening you can be a male and have mixed internal um, organs, so on and so forth. So it's so much biodiversity that literally exists, but it's just the framing of it. And is we're being pushed into obs easily observable context, meaning other easy for other people to understand and digest, but that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it whole, but we constantly have to have a relationship to it. So other people feel safe and justified in the way they treat us and so on and so forth. But um, I actually, when I was young, when I was about four or five years old, I was pretty sure that I was going to have a male puberty. And when I was 12 years old, I got a period and it shocked the hell out of me. 
I literally went into shock. <laughs> like I was, I was traumatized. I did not, I had known about bodies by that point. I already had sex education. Um, but I just was like, that's not going to happen to me. It happened to me. <laughs> um, and then I also ended up with one of the heaviest fucking forms of menstruation. So it was, um, it was a battle. Um, because also spiritually, I felt like, you know, you shouldn't change your body. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't modify this. You shouldn't modify that. You know, all the stuff we're told, all the stuff we internalize. But I, I got to a point where I said, you know, you know, let let my my source love me in my imperfection and let me discover things as I am. And I was 15 years old. I came out to a partner that I was with at that time. She outed me to somebody in my family. That person. <laughs> uh, that person's partner harassed me. And then I think she outed me to people at school too, because people were approaching me about it at school. Um, and so it it just made me feel like, let me wait till I'm out of this town. Um, so when I turned 18, I was also going to school or uh, it went at Pittsburgh. So that's when I was like, I can do it now. I don't have to be at home where everybody knows where I live. Cause if you rode the bus to school, you saw me standing out there. So everybody knew where I lived. Um, and I just wanted to have a sense of safety and privacy. Like I'm actually a very private person and it's a battle for me to be so open and I do it to sort of test the limit of my personality to, to be so visual, to be so, you know, auditory, to be just to be out there in the, in the sight of people. Like it, it actually freaks me out quite a lot. Um, so when I got to Pittsburgh, I said, I'm doing it. And unfortunately, I couldn't find any services out there. I had to actually wait till I came back on break to DC. I scheduled everything in like a one in one week's time, like getting hormones, um, applying for my name change, getting my letter. I did everything as quickly as I could. Um, shout out to my my therapist at the time. He 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 held me to the minimum. You know, they had that three months standard back then. So <sighs> I went on ultimately because I just felt like primarily I got tired of hearing my voice. My voice was not going to drop naturally. It was annoying me. If there was anything that would out me more than anything, it was my voice. Um, then I said, well, once I get older, my appearance is going to, I'm going to look like a young boy for the rest of my life. People were assuming I was like a young gay man, a twink at that, a film. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm just little. I can't help that. So, <laughs> you know, I said, I, I need to go on and get some facial hair. I need to get a deeper voice. I need to have, you know, some of the more topical features. Um, the reason that I went off was medical primarily. Um, despite my tattoos and piercings, I'm afraid of um, needles. I don't like injecting things into my body. Um, I don't like when, if you're a day late or an hour short, you have all these mood swings, all these things start happening to you psychologically. Um, I actually made a video about this, but I actually could feel the structure of my brain shifting and it was very painful. Um, I guess the term people would say it was masculinizing and it's one thing to go through puberty when you're young and you're not aware of everything your body is experiencing, but I was feeling everything in my skull. It literally hurt. You could feel neural pathways changing mm. and becoming rigid. Um, I also was losing access to my emotions. Um, I couldn't like literally a lot of people say this, but I couldn't cry. And I not only could I not cry, I could not connect to people the same way. Like the shocking moment for me came when I was, um, 
walking down the street and I went to go touch flowers. And this is my level of sensitivity. I don't know about other people, but I went to go touch some flowers and I saw the flowers like curl away from me. And I said, oh, no, <laughs> I I don't like that. I It, it just I don't know until, like exactly what really occurred, but I just know it just shocked me mm. to see flowers curling away from me and then I noticed you know I had less interactions with children I noticed women were pulling their children away from me a lot more um you know my weight was a lot you know I was like 160 I'm about 130 125 now um so I guess just the 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 that might be a conversation about black masculinity when it comes to other people but I also think it was important to focus on vibrations and the fact that I couldn't access my emotions in a way that I had become accustomed to being somebody who's into meditation being somebody who's into yoga somebody who's into um, you know, although exploring the depths of myself, right? Not just my social position, but like, what am I literally vibrating on the inside of me? Like what's coming out of my heartbeat when I go near people and having that inability to access it, I couldn't control it. Um, so I said, I had a, I had an experience with Oshun and I said, yeah, it's time. I, mm. I got to go off. I got to go off this hormone. Like I got what I needed from it. You know, I got my little my little goatee. At least my mustache won't come back. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I got what I could out of it, and I'm fine with it. You know, like I think it's a quote that says something like, "If you can't change the situation, to change your mind." Mm. That's ultimately what I decided. I changed the situation as much as I could, and then I hit a wall. Mm. Um, and I also didn't mention the fact that a lot of science doesn't understand what really is going on with our bodies when we go on hormones. So I was having phantom um, menstruation. So even though I wasn't actually bleeding, I still was having the symptoms of a period every month. And I said, I would rather actually have a period than to feel like my insides are curling up and dying. Mm. That's because it literally felt like I was like, well, they say this was happening, but I felt it. And it was scaring me because I said, we know for a fact that this can lead to some type of cancer. We know that much. Um, yeah, so I, I remember. See, um, you know, we don't know how I, we don't. I don't know if I should I talk about this. I'm going to talk about it anyway. I don't know if it's problematic to talk about it, but I remember um, he is problematic now because he's on his turf shit. But um, <sighs> Buck Angel talked about um, how his uterus uterus started to because he was on hormones for so long and uh, like unmonitored his uterus started to atrophy mm-hmm. and so that could lead to co- com- complications in regards mm-hmm. to that so i remember then i was like wow i didn't even i didn't even think about how that would feel and mm-hmm. da, 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 da. so you sharing that kind of um reminds yeah. me of that that's exactly one of the things that triggered my doctor to look more into my health with me and I told her I said I'm already having those symptoms and that was about three years into into using hormones and I said I'm not I don't like the mystery with my with my health if I know I'm not adding anything to myself then I can sort of have a better way means of tracking it uh-huh. so I, I said I, I have to go off um I, it's just not a good feeling it's, it's not a good feeling yeah um, then I, there's also what? dryness that a lot of guys deal with yeah mm and dryness cause cuts. Like we we talking, it's not just oh, it, it's something inside your body that's drying out. And every time you move, every time you 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 just do anything, you feel that. Yeah. And I said, I don't want to have to keep adding a medication, adding a serum, adding it. No, now I'm just pushing myself into a excuse me, but a handicap. And I said, it's just yeah. not worth it to me. 
I remember just going back to the emotionality of the whole situation. I re- it's it's interesting that you said um, you were losing that emotionality and that connection to people, and how and how that how that response to my own life is. I wanted to lose that because I felt <laughs> like it was fucking. Um, it was making me more vulnerable to the harms of men. It was yeah. making well, I date men, so the harms of people. Um, if you whoever you date, for me, I date men, so with with that, it made me more vulnerable to them. It made me more sensitive. It made me more wanting to bond, more mm-hmm. gullible, more um, giving more chances, more yeah. emotionally connected. And so that is the I love being on moans. <laughs> one part of it, I love, you know, how I feel and the, the range of emotion. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to how I engage with people, I'm much, much more forgiving when I do not need to be. Right. And um, the, one of the reasons when I got off of them in um, 2013 and I just recently got back on this year, 2021. Well, the reason why I got off is because the blessing about it was, honey, I could just enjoy sex. Without emotionality, I could just fuck without any thinking about it. Oh, dad, like, <laughs> yo, that's <laughs> real. That is real. I enjoyed that too, being on T. It's like, I don't feel nothing. Hey, you want to go do this? All right, bye. And yes. Like, think about it. You forgot. You forgot names. You forgot faces. You forgot whole states you was in. Like, Oh yeah, yeah. It was it, it I could it it literally be my sexuality became my self-care. I could just enjoy it, almost like a, a monthly massage that I could just plan. Ooh, I'm gonna see my friend who got the good piece, who do the good extras, who eat your ass, do all your everything. They do everything, and I can just enjoy it. It's like me planning a massage, and then I don't I'm not worried about who he's hooking up with. I'm not worried about damn. Does he like me? Is he attracted to me? Is he, is he, um, you know, why he ain't text me? Why didn't he text me when he went, when he got back home or why he ain't hit me up? Are you missing me? It's just a whole different thing when I am, it's something about when I'm not on moans and I'm testosterone dominated that I'm like, man. I had to mute to let that one out. I'm dying laughing on the inside because, like, I'm so serious. I was, I was at, um, I used to work at Walmart and I was there and I just did my shot and I was breaking down boxes and I said, damn, that box feel good. <laughs> just, I was just like, I was on a thousand for no reason. Like, I could be attracted to objects. I never had that before. If I saw a woman's neck, I was just like, my eyesight was just, zoom in nothing else mattered i was just like yo this is really intense this is really intense it was a whole new level of management um but that's real when i went off of hormones i was upset because my body was clearly still growing emotionally in that other on the other side of the spectrum the more um empathic side and the more estrogen side because when i went off everything hit my heart like every Every thought, I felt it in my chest. Every anxiety, I felt it in my chest. So I had a lot of anxiety that was just impacting me after I went off the testosterone. And it, it sucked. Like, you feel and internalize everything. And then that's when I realized, like, how much the personality and character is dictated by hormones. That's wild to me. 
It's it definitely is wild to me. I definitely, I, and I always ask people. So I'm going to ask you this. I when I'm when I talk to them on a, a like just a personal level, I always ask people this. Like as a trans person, one of the cliche things that we say when we're younger is, "I always felt like a girl," or "I always felt like a boy." But then when you think about it, I be, be I'm like, hmm. This is if, if these hormones is making me feel like a girl, this ain't what I felt before. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't what I felt before. I don't want to say I felt like a boy, but I didn't feel like this. Whatever this, and I, I, I've said this before on the show, it reminds me of uh, um, uh, the analogy that I always use is a crayon. When you, a crayon, a box of crayons, you have a, as a regular degular dude to me, you have this 24 box of crayons. But when you are, when I have, when I'm estrogen high, I got like this fucking 64 box with the pencil sharpener on the side of various color, golden rod, periwinkle. <laughs> I have a, a, a more of a ray of emotions that come. Um, and it's just something, it's just different. So if this is what feeling like a girl feels like, for real, for real, <laughs> Then oh, I didn't. I felt like for something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I used that language before, and I quickly stopped myself because I just realized I didn't have the the length of words to provide the proper details. I felt male. I felt that I was not supposed to have a female body. I know people get upset when you say terms like that, but I'm just trying to be understood immediately. Um, I did not feel like that I was supposed to have a female. Um. Puberty, I didn't see it for myself. Like when I had dreams, when I had visions, when I had thoughts, I had the quote unquote male progression. Um, and the only thing that interrupted that was menstruating. So it just, I don't know how to describe it, but that's why I also say I adopt more to spirit because I, I feel spiritually both. I don't necessarily feel that because I felt that I was physically male that it meant all of me was solely masculine. I felt like I was supposed to be a balanced person. I just thought my body should have been different. Not just thought, I felt that. Um, that's going back to the conversation about brain mapping. And, you know, I guess the closest description is like a missing limb syndrome. Um, just feeling like there were things that were there and were supposed to be there, but were not. Like I would literally, and I laugh about it because it's, it's actually hilarious to me because there was a time I, a few times I got up, went to, you know, how you get up your grog and you go to the bathroom. Child, I tried to stand to pee at the toilet and I fell backwards into the wall because I was so shocked that what I thought mentally was supposed to be there wasn't. And I literally was like patting myself down, like, where's my, where is it? Where is it? Where? Oh my God, where'd it go? And I'm like, did you forget? You don't have it. And I had that multiple times. Like I was a kid, I had it. I was an adult, I had it. You know, so I, I just was like, I got to keep training myself when I wake up in the morning how to go to the bathroom properly. How did you start to shift what you were sexually attracted to? Because I know you talked about, you know, identifying as a lesbian for a really, really long time. And then you talked about being, I know, I know based on how we talked about it in our past, um, 
you know, you dated trans women and then I know you dated guys. How did those things start to shift for you and you getting comfortable with that? Uh, this is it actually started. OK, I had my first boyfriend. I was 13 years old. It lasted for about a week. Um, I'm actually still friends with him. He used to sit in my lap. Um, people joke with him all the time, like who's wearing the pants to the relationship, who's the man in the relationship. Um, but for me, that experience was me trying to explore what types of relationships I wanted, not necessarily the gender of the person. But I felt that to protect myself from predatory practices of men and males, that I had to pick a binary language and say I'm lesbian. I, I came out as bisexual my first day of school in high school. But once guys kept harassing me, I said, oh, no, I'm lesbian. And it, it to me was just cutting them off from the conversation, not because they're male, but because of their behavior and what type of predatory practices I'd already been exposed to and that which I knew what I, I was going to have to expect. Um, so just using lesbian, it just it was my defense, but it also was pretty much true. I don't typically have attractions to men to males or to masculine uh appearing people um so before i transitioned when i was 18 when i was 17 years old i actually had a conversation with myself because um i was on a website called crush spot i don't know if anybody familiar with that but you know back in the day we had black planet myspace and i found crush spot and there was this and a down link yeah, <laughs> that too. Hey. Don't forget about Downlink, hey. honey. I'm sorry. Shout out to Downlink. Woo, I got a lot of people off that site. Oh, so, wait. And New Africa. <laughs> oh, I wasn't there for that one. I was over the black pages after that. Child. Um, so I was on a crush spot and I found this profile of this feminine person. And I was like, yo, they sexy. They are learning. They're artistic. They're creative. They did dance. They did their own videos and everything was really, really attractive. It was like right in my alley of, of aesthetic. But then I found a, a masculine page and I said, this looks like the same style, but just a man. So eventually the person addressed it because so many people was noticing the commonality between the, pe the person's page and the edit style, the language, the dancing, the body, so on and so forth. This person came out and said, yes, this is me on both pages. I'm androgynous. And that's when I was like, it took me all the two seconds to be like, hmm, yeah, 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 I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I like the more feminine version of you because he, he could pull off any one of them. He could pull off whatever he wanted to. He was fine as hell as a female, fine as hell as a man. But I preferred the more feminine expression that they had. So from that experience, I had a conversation with myself where I was just like, yo, if I can accept myself as the masculine person I am, what's stopping me from um, accepting somebody who's of a very similar experience, which the closest term would be a trans woman? And that's when I was like, yep, I'm cool with it. I'm cool. It's, 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 it's OK with me. Um, so from there, I just started to explore not necessarily the binary about dating and sex. I started to look more into emotional connection, spiritual connection, um, dating styles, you know, other types of preferences that determine chemistry and compatibility beyond just do our genitals do the thing. Um, because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily just looking at somebody that makes me happy. It's the intellectual connection. It's the activities we share. 
it's the lifestyle agreements, you know. So I had to look at the other items that make up a relationship and look at those other compartments as important as well. So that's when I that's where I started exploring um, my dating. Now, when it came to my sexuality, because just liking to date somebody don't mean you're fucking them. So <laughs> explore my sexuality. I legitimately went on BGC and A for A and just said, hey, I'm trans and I'm experimenting. I'm cool if you want to experiment, but let's be clear that that's all it is. What is an NSA? So I studied, you know, the language of the apps and, you know, the other the ads and stuff. And so I started finding hookups in that way because I didn't want relationships with these people. I just wanted to know what can I do sexually? What turns me on? What turns me off? Um, I was about 21 years old when that happened. I was in Pittsburgh, which I really appreciated because being in Pittsburgh, it's not as racially diverse. There's more white people out there, but there's still black people out there who come from a different experience than being in an area where I pretty much can look at a dude and go, I know your type. Yeah, so I just, I just literally experimented people were unhappy when I stopped <laughs> and was like, all right, I know what I want. Like it was, there was some unhappy characters, but <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know what? I don't know. This is just my little bubble, but it just mm. feels based on me listening to Z me listening to you and me listening to other trans men that I, um, that I know. It just feels like y'all are, um, when y'all want to be, y'all just have a little bit more freedom than we give ourselves. Because, uh, honey, I, I'm the, I'm just now getting to the point where, you know, I'm on Jack and I'm saying, hey, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. And boom, 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 boom. And, you know, letting letting it be known. But it's still, I'm still connecting with the same type of people that I normally connect with. <laughs> I think that's, and that's what I found interesting when I started interacting with the gay community, because I came from the lesbian community and they don't even like bisexuals a lot of the time. So it's real cut off from the rest of the experience that other people are having. Uh-huh. So when I get into gay male spaces, I was like, their headlights, I'm like, whoa, y'all got whole different terms. Y'all got a whole different like dance and ways of navigating and yeah, I'm, excuse me, I'm not trying to put the blame on cis men or gay men, but they tend to be more forceful on how they categorize you and like putting you uh-huh. into a box. Um, and there's not as much fluidity. And I think a part of it is connected to like safety and, you know, passability and stuff like that, that you know, they have to do with in their cultures. But um, I just found I just find it interesting that amongst people that are of a more trans masculine experience, we tend to have certain personality types because of the way that you're socialized because of the way that you overcome that socialization as a masculine bodied or appearing person that you learn to push in areas where people don't want you to like you learn to navigate how you want to because nobody's going to give it to you as a woman nobody's going to give you space nobody's going to let you you know do things you literally have to take it so I think it's something that it comes with the territory of being a masculine person growing up in a female body, growing up in a female experience that you develop certain habits where right. you're just like, us, I'm going to do this. And then us, we're, we're trying to 
shrink ourselves where we're, we're mm-hmm. and this is my belief. I know everybody has different um, conditioning when they grow up, but I'm we're I'm conditioned to um, you know be people were pushing me to be more masculine and be more. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I make the rules. I do what I want to do. Da, 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 da. But my 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 transition said you need to shrink yourself because being all like that is not womanly and being all like this that's not gonna make dudes like you if you're trying to do all of this masculine freaky quote quote unquote masculine (laughs) freaky stuff trying to get them to do that no 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 you gotta be this way this is how women are and this is you know you know blah 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 blah. we are i don't want to say we but me i felt like i was I felt like I was sexually intended to shrink myself. Like I am supposed to be catering to his needs. I am supposed to be catering to what he likes, or I am not going to be um, desirable enough to keep his attention, desirable enough to um, be in competition with the rest of the options that he has. I have to know how to suck dick good. I have to know how to take dick good. I have to know how to do all of these things. But now that I'm grown, I understand that's really just bullshit. But that's what I felt like I had to do early on in my sexual experience when I was like in my teens and early 20s. Well, I'm going to say that's not that's not alien to the the woman experience that's exactly what they want from you like that's right. cis or trans that's what's desired for you to shrink yourself for right. you to be quiet to take all the bass out your voice to not have muscle tone you know i remember seeing people questioning uh serena williams and saying is she really a woman because she has muscle tone i've mm-hmm. seen it countless times you know the culture attacks black women who are urban and are so sufficient that if she has a strong forearm oh she's a man how right. many times we saw sierra be dissected in every image because she's athletic or she's toned and she's slim instead of plump and you know voluptuous literally literally rumors saying that she was a hermaphrodite <laughs> literally because black woman is not allowed to exist outside of the idea that she's soft and supple and she doesn't have hair. And but at the same time, this comes from a community of people that literally believe men only have testosterone and women only have estrogen. So you tend to find that in that those territories that they think that way. So I think what you experience is exactly what a lot of women feel whether or not they know how to articulate that that's that's what a lot of women are actually facing and a lot of them are accepting it because mm-hmm. it gives a when you play that hyper film hyper submissive role it does give you a certain level of capita social capita mm-hmm. it does give you you know if you if you are fitting into those ideals in regards to Whatever those ideals, if you got the right features, if you got the right texture hair, if you got the right color skin, if you got the right body type, if it's if it's you know, it is what it is. It gives you social capital like you actually can commodify that and um, benefit from it. But we know that's the European grooming. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's just them grooming black women to try and model after the white woman without actually having her skin. So, Mm -hmm. no, I do. I reject that. Mm. I mean, nothing against it, because clearly I, I like pretty people. I do. But I reject that whole notion that it's something that everybody's supposed to aspire to. Because like you said, it, it depends on 
you know, things that are outside of our choosing is based on biology, it's based on your parents and your ancestors giving you certain features and giving you a certain experience of class and grace. And so I think a lot of women find that the more feminine they become, the more accepted they become, the more they become commodified, the more people want to uplift you, the more people want to refer to you as an example of, of feminine exceptionalism. Um, and a lot of women just don't fit it. And, and that's just a fact. Like if that was the case, women wouldn't be out here shaving. They wouldn't be out here doing there. They wouldn't be out here doing the waxes because if you let, if, both sexes, if all the sexes let everything grow out the way that it, it, it would in nature, nobody would really look the way we think we do, the way we present ourselves. Absolutely. And it and, and it's so arbitrary because it changes all the mm. time as well. It changes <laughs> shit every That's my favorite part about five it. Five years. Yeah, it's always a <laughs> For new standard. us, it's wonderful because it allows us to be even more if we invested in blending, it just allows us to be just keep you know, blending, do what yeah. we do. But um, but for somebody who is trying to chase it, girl, mm. every so often you 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 go get this big old booty, and the next decade <laughs> they don't want they booties booty. no more. Yeah, they don't want it. Right, they don't want the BBLs no more. It's like, oh, I want a natural girl. Oh, I want the hair. Bring back the seventies. Bring uh-huh. that back. You know, mm. yeah, yeah. So tell me what is bringing you joy nowadays? What is bringing you the most joy in your life? What is some hobbies that you are having that you are like, ooh, this is my shit right now. What is that? Recently, I have gotten back into rollerblading. Mm, and let like me be clear. In line. Yeah, I can't do them quads. I can't do them full <laughs> wheels, two wheels. on. I can't do that. I need them. I need a line. Okay. Really, um, I'm the total opposite. I cannot do the line. I have to do the quads. <laughs> I nope, just I got. Uh, hold on, let me show you one second. Oh, I just mm. got me a new pair, mm. so I can Ooh. go roller skating. They are so cute and so comfy, <laughs> and I can't wait to wear them and take them. I just told my homeboy <coughs> that we need to plan some type of trip. <laughs> To the roller rink so we can just have some fun. Like, is there a fucking gay day that we don't have to worry about niggas <laughs> being stupid? <laughs> that was when I got back into it, actually, in D.C. I went to the Pride Skate with oh, the locals see, out here. That. Yeah, so skating is actually a thing. Like, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but Bishop Oates from, uh, he he's starting to go viral on Instagram. He was just on Steve Harvey's show talking about his experience skating in the DMV. And he referred to a skating rink and it's called Temple Hill Skate Palace right now, I think, but it used to be called Crystal Skating Palace. Everybody in this area has been there. Everybody in this area had at least one birthday party in them motherfuckers. So it's iconic. Like they won't let it shut down. Like somebody keeps buying it after they overclosing. Somebody buys it. Right now you can go <laughs> skate for $2. Okay. They trying to get us in there. Um, I, I went there when I was about eight years old. The guy tried to give me lessons on, on those quads and I hated it. I couldn't keep my feet going in one direction. And I told my dad, I don't want to do this no more. Cancel my lessons. He was like, are you sure? Are you sure? I was like, yeah, go get me some inlines. He was like, well, if you can't do that, how are you going to do that? And I looked him dead and I was like, buy me those skates. <laughs> so <laughs> he bought me these, these, these little plastic skates. They had purple laces. And he took me back to the skating rink. And I was with the guy getting lessons again. And he saw me. He was like, you don't need these lessons. You're good. So two lessons in, 
with quads. I said, F that. I went back, got some inlines. The dude was like, you don't need these lessons. So within that same month, I started doing like 360s. Like I was jumping over stuff, jumping off of stuff. Like I wore them skates out to the plastic bust on them things, man. I wore them things out. So I ended up not continuing skating for a long time. I literally just got back into it June this year. Just got back into it. I think it. there's some type of um Tiwi Queen and Jay talked about it. Um, particularly Queen um on Queer Walk, they talked about it. It is some type of renaissance that's happening with roller <laughs> skating. And I, that the that the pandemic really just swelled up. Everybody yeah. is I you see people on TikTok, you see people on Yo. Instagram just skating around the city and skating in yeah. different parks. And just it's just something about skating. But I think it's because it's an outdoors thing. Mm-hmm. There is a cultural black assness that happens with skating. That was a really in the 80s, particularly 70s and 80s, there was a particular mm-hmm you know, black ass moment of skating that was happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we make every motherfucking thing fly. <laughs> yeah, and, you, know, you with the express with yourself. The, uh, with the fucking, um, what is it called when they be skating around the room together? Oh, and the um, lines and stuff. The just different, the line with the, the line, basically a line dance on roller skating, really. Yeah. Um, they be fucking it up because shit be fly. Yeah. So it's, it was a moment, it's a cultural moment and, it, you know, shit is always coming back in fashion. Yeah. So I thought, it, I just think that it's, it's amazing that because of this COVID thing, we're embracing something like that. Cause I and it's like, cause it. you can, you can go out and solo skate and nobody can go, oh, six feet old, put on a mat, like you're moving. You yeah. know, and it's not like a bicycle where you're scared to stop and put it somewhere. Somebody's still and stuff. It's on your feet. You know, so I think it was a matter of like convenience, but also like a lot of people would, are just now getting into skating mm-hmm. and learning. So they actually started making three wheel skates called tri skates. That's what I love. I have three pairs of skates and I have a pair of aggressive skates, uh, which is more for the skate park. I have a pair of 80 millimeter wheels and then I also have the uh, three wheel 110 millimeters. The big wheels are my favorite because you exert less energy, but you can go further. You can, you know, spin a lot. You can do a lot of dancing on it. And it's just the conversations I've had since people see me on the skates, like people smile when they see you skating. Like it reminds them of something. It just triggers some endorphin in people when they see rotor blades or they see skates on your feet. Suddenly life isn't the same hum and drum monotony that it was just two seconds before they laid eyes on you. Right. You know, and it's it's so many different age groups, too. Like you said, in the 70s and 80s, people were skating. So I see people 70 something years old talking about, you know what? I'm going to get back on it. Like I went skating <laughs> with a dude that was 70 years old. Like I saw him on YouTube. He's like going to the skate parks like like people are out here and I, I love it. It's a good way to be active. It's a great way to stay in shape. Yes, it is. Mm. I got awesome. abs now. <laughs> Have you seen these? Hey, yes, actually, when I was at the 8th Street Festival, I saw a young woman there. She had those on and she was looking at me with my skates. And I'm looking at her with her little thing. What are those? There's some type of. So I was at uh, the Women's March here in Houston. So these y'all, since y'all can't see us exchanging these little pictures. Yeah. <laughs> these are these shoes. They look like inline skates, except they don't have wheels. They have these like jumping, bouncy things on the bottom of them where you jump up and down. With it's like a spring attached to them a little bit. Yeah. It's not necessarily a spring, but it's something that makes you bounce. Yeah. And so I was at the women's, the Houston's Black Women's March, and I was a speaker at it. And this lady was in the audience, and she was 
just jumping and bouncing up and down throughout the whole crowd. And I was like, I need to wear them. Them is so fucking fire. They are on, I know people think Amazon is a devil, but, you know, that is a guilty pleasure of mine. But they're yes. called the New Bounce. Um, the New Bounce jumping shoes. Kangaroo jumping okay. shoes for kids, adults, and so-and-so. It's tons of different sizes. Okay. Um, but I absolutely love them. And I wanted to get a pair because I think they're amazing and they're super fucking fun. <laughs> yeah, she was dancing in them. The lady yeah, I saw, she, she, was, she was like, yeah, she was having a good time. They like, had played the electric slide and she was doing it <laughs> with her little jumping shoes. <laughs> I know she was hot on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it just was fire. I loved oh. it. I loved it, loved it. So I wanted to try to get some of them as well, just so I can um, just try them and see if not, I'll return them up. I'm looking but, at some right now. <laughs> I'm looking at some right now. Like, <clears throat> what else? What else got you feeling joy? Are you fashion. in love? Are you dating? What's going on with you? I like flirting. <laughs> okay, because trying to date right now, I'm just like, no. People have weird expectations. Like, I'm a slow mover. And a lot of people, I guess because of technology, because of hookup culture, they just want everything to be so, like, responsive. You got to be on it right now, today. Send me an Uber. Child, I, first of all, I drive. Second of all, I like to cook at home. Um, third, I like to be private. So I know it seems backwards compared to if you see me on social media, but like I really am a state of myself type person. Like, so it, it, when I get interested in people, it takes a lot. But that's why I said I like flirting because I like to compliment people. So I've been taking joy in like giving compliments to people and showing up in people's like um inboxes and just trying to be a positive influence because like right now a lot of people though we're on social media together nobody's actually paying attention to each other so i just try to like show up and let people know like i'm looking Hmm. well an example i have is i follow a few mental health professionals um they're both black women um and one of them was recently giving us uh, some insight into her experience as a as a social worker she does everything, you know, housing. Sometimes they need education, so she can get education. So she's basically saying, like, she's stressed out right now, especially because COVID, like, everything is just stress, like, stressful. And she's saying that there's a lot of people in her circle that are not necessarily responding to her and her needs and what she's saying she needs. And so I've just really just been focusing on being spiritual, you know, hug people, cuddle people in the heart, you know, and then reach out to them verbally and let them know, like, hey, I hear everything you're saying. You know, we've lost people to, you know, ending themselves sooner than they should be. And I just am really sensitive when I see people put out very scary messages about their mental health and their state. So I've just been really happy to just be able to, like, be in people's inbox and just go, like, yo, what's good? Like, what's something you're interested in? Let's take your mind off of this for a moment. Mm. You know what? I, I have learned that is one of my, not, I don't want to say flaws. It's not a flaw. It's one of my, um, I don't know what to call it, but um, I am very self-sufficient in my self-care. And most of the time, it really, really works. It really, really um you know, I have a I have a grasp on how to get myself out of a rut. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I do not have a grasp on how to tell people um, 
I need help. Or this would assist me in my efficient self-care. This would, uh, I kind of just, I'm all about, I'm just going to suck it up and do it myself. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to save the money. I'm going to, it's always about putting everything in my own hands. My self-care doesn't always, um, usually if it includes community, it's like accident or idea of somebody else. Like somebody else said, oh, we should do this together. I didn't bring it up. And I just I just tacked myself on because they invited me. Um, but there's some things that um, I would I would love to be more intentional about including community into my self-care. Because usually it's not my idea, it's somebody else's idea. And so I haven't been to, I haven't got to the point where I have fully I'm able to verbalize, hey, I would love to do this with my community. Mm-hmm. recently like i said about roller skating recently i put a thing up on my facebook and i said hey i want to go to the rink who wants to do a trip to the rink what's up right, <laughs> and some right. people said they was down so i'm gonna try to hit them up and see you know how that works out right i think a part of like because I'm, I'm similar and i've been learning to I mean, I've used, I've had moments on YouTube where I say something and usually I take the video down or I private it. Um, but as of late, I've just said, you know what? I'm tired of sucking things up. And it's a bad example to myself. Um, it's a bad example to the people who do follow me, who think I'm always strong and I'm never impacted by things and nothing's going on. So I say, you know what? Let me just go ahead and just show my ugly. Um, and that's, again, in the vein of challenging myself, though. You know, so it's still a part of my self-building. And like you're talking about skating, that that was a huge mental health decision because I, I like cardio, but I don't like treadmills and I don't like running like my knees hurt. OK, it just it just hurts. So I said, well, I need something that I, that I can do. That's not just bike riding because there's only but so far I can get interested in riding a bike. After a while, I get tired of the repetitive motion, you know, and only being able to fit in certain spaces and so on and so forth. So rollerblading was my or is my connection to building another community that is responsive, right? Because I think people sometimes get frozen. And even though they see you trying to put in the effort, they themselves are stuck too. So they won't respond to you saying sometimes like, oh, let's go out and let's do an event because so much of what harms us as, you know, people is being visible. So again, that's why I've been enjoying being in people's inboxes, you know? So I've been going out to these, these skating spaces where most of the time I'm the only black person, or maybe I'll see one Latina. It's kind of stressful in a sense, but I also know that by doing it and being seen out in public on the streets of DC or in Maryland, that people start to go, wait, I can do that too. I can show up. I should show up. Everything is not violence. I don't have to internalize all my experiences around white people. I don't always have to feel left out if I, you know, just because I won't go there. You're, you're left out when you don't show up. So I just try to go there so other black people go, wait, I, I can join this Facebook group and come out and actually still enjoy myself, even though I might be the only black person there. So I've actually been having a lot of fun, you know, skating with other people. I've actually met um a black queer person who is a we call it a um, certified skate instructor so and I also found out there's a pavilion nearby that I can go and skate you know pretty much until night and I didn't know that 
it was only after I went to this group with these white folks that somebody go, hey, you know, there's a place you can go in this black neighborhood and skate outside all day. Oh, wow. You know, they have the DJ out there. They have free events. They got food and vending. And I didn't even know. And they're right around the corner. Yeah, it's it's all types. Of, I I learned that it's all types of shit in your city that you just really got to get out. <laughs> cool. You got to get out the house. Yeah, you got to get the fuck up out the house because this is some stuff that I just I just found out this fat fire ass jazz bar my mm. homeboy took me to, and I was like I would come here all the time. Like if the, if this is how the experience is, I'd come here all the time. This is fire, and so me and my homegirl are gonna go um, next weekend because. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm trying to find spots where I'm not just in the house. <clears throat> Tell me this. Mm-hmm. What I feel like... Hmm, I feel like we both have been, you know, expressing our visibility during a time where we are coming out of the dark. Because prior to, you know, when we first started, like, kind of showing our transness, it was, there was still a level of, it's not a public discourse around transness mm-hmm. that much. Do you feel what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, no, yeah. Boom. But now it's a whole big political, public strategy, tactical attack on transness. <laughs> da, da, da. It's a whole big ass motherfucking thing. and part that that is a double-edged sword of visibility it is a part a part there was a safety that came with being in a in a subculture right there was a safety that came with not everybody having an opinion about transness because they weren't exposed to transness now that everything is trans is everywhere Everybody has come up with uh, what they feel and what they think and what they believe about transness. How are you navigating that space? Like, how are you navigating balance and visibility, the negatives that comes with it, and the positives that comes with it politically? Well, I'm literally a boxer in my mind. I, I box in my mind mentally. Um, I literally fight words in my mind. Like I'm, I'm smacking people's opinions out my way. Like I visual, I have a, I'm a strong visualizer. So that's my first tool is to visualize literally smacking the crap out of some nonsense. Um, no apologies about it. Um, you know, move, bitch, get out the way, you know, all of that. Like if I need to listen to certain songs, you know, luck of you, but like I will, you know, but if I need to, you know, before I let go of it, I will, I'm going to do some steps. So I think what's important to me is remembering my cultural connections, you know, through music, you know, the things that bring me pleasure, like really understanding this is not just for today's joy. This is for joy for tomorrow to, to invest in listening to things that make me feel good versus sort of having this empty time block of my space in my life and in my spirit like no I need to fill it with something you know like my mind we always talk about children's minds being sponges but as an adult it's still the same case it's just you get lazy you, st- you start making excuses away from doing the work um so I just find it important to continue to be creative to continue to be expressive because if I sit still that's when stuff starts attacking me if I get quiet that's when I can't hear myself so I just I try to make it a response ability of mine to do the work by just take the time by myself i don't care if it's taking a long bath i go in the bath and i just be singing 
I don't care what I sound like. Ain't nobody in here to judge me. And if they was, bitch, you in my bath. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know, I'd be in there listening to my Rihanna. You know, I'd be in there, you know, whatever. But I just try to stay up on, like, my Afrobeat, you know, try to learn some new dance steps, like, continually growing. Like, if I'm a plant, say I'm a, I'm a plant, sometimes you got to get a new pot. You know, sometimes you got to loosen up some of those roots you had, you know, get some of the old stuff that's becoming stagnant. You know, so I just try to use a lot of metaphors as well, <laughs> you know, to, to attach a different meaning to my experience outside of just the controlled human body and experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of self-advocacy um, and also blocking people. I block. I don't care if you talk to me or somebody else. I'm blocking you. You, you say something dumb on somebody else's post, I'm blocking you. Fact. I come across your opinion, I'm blocking you. Because <laughs> like, I don't care. It's like there's a million rocks in the world. I don't got to step on all of them. Facts. Just the ones that's directly beneath me. You know what I'm saying? So just stay up. Like Stay up. Don't let nothing bring you down. The moment you start noticing it, get rid of it. Swipe. Keep going. Facts. I try to, um, you know, of course, we talk about political stuff and cultural stuff. Um, on the show, but I'm, I really try to curate what mm-hmm. I got into it with somebody on my page like about a week ago. I had to block two trans women because, you know, the week before I had gave them a chance because I had said something that they didn't like about, um, I had said that Caitlyn Jenner was a woman of white man experience and CJ and, is a white woman of a white man experience. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> what do you want? You know, they said I was <laughs> earthy and I worded it, well whatever, you know, and you, you and they said I was tone deaf and I'm like, how the fuck you gonna tell me my tone on my fucking shit? I set the tone on my shit. Is CJ not the tone, tone deaf? on shit that I control? I set the tone. Exactly. And by the way, CJ is the one who's grossly tone deaf. Remember, this was somebody that was trying to endorse Trump and buying what he said, like, oh, no, I'm going to leave the community. No, I'm not going to bother you. And then one of the first things he did was try to attack trans people who were in service. That's tone deaf, baby. But getting away from that. <laughs> right. So I, I tried to. I, I try. And then the next week, <laughs> it was a whole other situation. Um, about where I was, you know, I had posted a picture of Haley and um, and her sister Chloe, and I put the the text of black cis women and black trans women, and they were walking up the stairs, all sisterly. Somebody got mad at that. They were mad because so my intention of posting it was to just share a happy moment because there was so much negativity between cisgender and trans women about the Nikita dragon shit. There was so much negativity and I, I see it, but I have tons of great cisgender women friends that are saying positive things that that are dragging Nikita ass for being anti-black and dragging transphobes (coughs) and Asian doll for being fucking anti-trans. I, I, I don't give a fuck about a bitch that's a cisgender bitch who fucking um, who is uh, anti who's, who's transphobic, and I don't give a fuck about some transgender bitch who is anti-black. I don't give a fuck about neither <laughs> one. Of them. I don't give a fuck. Both of them can go kick rocks and jump off a bridge. I don't really care. Goodness. So what I was trying to do was post something that was positive because on Marsha's plate, I control it, 
And so I want to control the narrative in regards to I, I'm not about to drag cisgender women on my platform. I'm not about to drag trans women on my platform unless e- either one of them, unless it's some type of thing that, that they just deserve it. But if this is just a, a cultural thing, I'm going to try to keep it positive. Right. And so they were like, that's what I took from it. Right. That's that's literally what I was trying to do. And they were like, oh, this is tone deaf. They they are I, I, they are dragging trans women. Like, I'm supposed to jump in on the drag. Not all of them are. Not all are. of them are. And even if that's the majority, my bubble. <laughs> and you got to celebrate them, too. Bubble. We got to remember that even though as trans people, it's very easy to become like to center ourselves, especially when we're going through all the politics, that the people around us are also want to, they want to know if they're doing a good job. They want feedback too. Mm-hmm. You know, my family, have, they, on my dad's side, they've come to me many times to say, you know, are we doing enough or are we showing up? Hmm? Your dad is a photographer, right? <laughs> um, no. Yes. I think your dad followed me. He's a, yes, he does. He does. Yeah, he that's, yeah, that's the only reason why I say that because he um, followed me, and I was like, he's cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. So I've been training him in photography, but I wouldn't say he's a photographer. But oh. you know, we do family stuff. But I mean, I guess if you have the skill and some knowledge, you are. So yeah, but not by profession. Okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's why I, I just remember that, and re- reason why you the reason why I brought him up, not to pull his tea or anything like that, but to. He follows me, and he's really, really fucking nice. He's really cool. Mm-hmm. Like he's really nice. So they do want to know that they cool, they cool people. Like, am I being going too far? Da da da. They do want to know that they cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Jake, my, I remember I came out to my dad. I was in Pittsburgh, and he started messaging me about Drag Race, and I was like, "Bro, I don't even watch that show at the time." <laughs> I was laughing and cracking. He's like, "Did you see this episode?" I'm like, "What?" My dad watched his drag race. Let me get into it. And I, you know, I got into drag race because of my dad. Wow. I don't even watch right. drag race, but I acknowledge the cultural phenomenon that drag race mm-hmm. is. Drag race is pulling the people in, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also, like, here's, here's an experience I actually had revealed to me by my grandmother. I talk about her, you know, she passed away at 100 years old. And one of the final moments she had, you know, in the last, I say, month of her life, she started having a lot of remembrance of, uh, people she had known, and one of the things she mentioned was, "Hey, we had she had an aunt or a cousin or somebody who ran a house in D.C. So you know, back then it was a lot of segregation, and the black artists that were coming to town would go to this relative's house, and all of them would stay up there, um, and and perform in local clubs." Uh, and she said that she had a friend, I forget his name right now, but she said she had a friend who was very pretty is how she described him. She said he was very pretty. He was very feminine and he was very friendly and he was a drag queen. She literally called him. She said, this is a drag queen. And she said she used to go to his shows and she was talking about how she loved seeing him on stage and like her eyes are glowing. And she's like, you can see the joy on her when she's talking about, you know, this male friend she had who was very expressive as she called it. Um, and she said they used to have their relationship was completely platonic. You know, they might have cuddled. They might have, you know, shacked up every once in a while in the same room. But she just was remembering like she had queer friends and a queer community around her that she missed, you know, in her old age, you know, getting closer, you know, to seeing that light. So that was some history I learned. <laughs> 
that my family, my dad's side, is very uh, queer friendly and not only queer friendly, but made a means to survival for queer people and for, you know, other rejected individuals in the society. So I was just like, wow. You know what it wow. reminds me of? It reminds me of um, like hoodoo, like um, like root work and voodoo and that kind of stuff. Like everybody has some type, they know that person. It's not how it is now because we're coming out and we're, you know, there's more visibility in regards to queerness. But when you talk to older, older old heads, like in that like 80, 90 mark, everybody has, even 70 and up, they have that story about some person, some, mm-hmm. some individual that couldn't be out and proud, but they knew this, this is a queer thing. And you mm-hmm. know, I always had, there were people around me who knew that one person to do the root work, that one person to do the conjuring, that one person, that one person to do the healing. That, you know, the doctors, you may not go to the regular doctor, but go to Miss Anne on the corner, da-da-da-da, blah-blah-blah. It was always this, um, it reminds me of that kind of thing where it was always purely word of mouth. um, And it reminded me of that. That's what it, when you just Mm. described that, because I know that there was, you know, there was those special kind of people on the queer side and on the spiritual side that, were out that was off the beaten path mm-hmm. and they always have memories of them and now that we are out open and proud they can actually talk about them we conjure right. up those memories and they can actually be free to talk about them now right right because i actually found it funny when people go oh i just can't remember your pronoun I can't. my grandmother was an old woman when i came out of trans and she called me by my name every day she couldn't remember who her kids were sometimes, but she remembered my damn name and my pronoun. Well, come on now. I got, I got a cousin. He has a learning disability. He knows how to say my name. <laughs> you know, so. Okay, baby, I don't give age no excuse, baby. Okay. Uh, honey, we got uh, Mother Angela Davis on board. We got We got too many queer elders now. That mm-hmm. are always, and we always have, yeah, always have. I know why people try to make it like a millennial thing. Oh, it's new, baby. We've been here, right? What you think we was calling ourselves? You think we were just picking up dictionaries and making words for ourselves, baby? My name is my name. That's what you call me. Mm-hmm. What functions I perform are not dependent on my genitals. I don't know where people got there from. Well, I know where they got it from, but where they started to cling to it, I yeah, I, I, I definitely don't give. Don't give them no room. You see, or I'm not, or I'm not fucking fucking with you. <laughs> right? I'm not up in your space talking about why you being a traditional marriage. Why you want to be a traditional? I don't care. I'm not up in your drawers, so I don't care what they smell like as long as I can't smell it. Facts. You know what I'm saying? People make the wrong thing an issue. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. You are a special person to me. Just you have always been part of my online experience from when I when I from the beginning of when I started, and mm. you know I just uh, have always appreciated your insight and your words. You are somebody that will always have a special place in my heart. I was so excited to meet you at Philly Trans Health. That was so I didn't know you were going to be there. I know you be there. And you were just such a special person to me. So I appreciate you for taking the time and being a part of this episode. Thank you. Thank 
thank you. Okay, I consider myself one of your children. I don't know if you know that, but I consider myself one of your children now. Am I am I young enough to am I old enough? I don't even know which way to put it. But you no, 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 to be my, my youngest brother. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm 32, y'all. 32. <laughs> I um, love it. So tell the people where they can find you. I'm a whole mess. I don't know you won't follow me on social media, but if you're looking for me, <laughs> I'm going to say something that's going to make you feel some type of way, but uh, in a good way, I hope. But uh, you can find me on my Instagram, hey Zay H-E-Y-X-A-Y underscore. There's somebody else named Hey Zay on it. It ain't me. Look for the black and white picture as far as this conversation goes on uh, today. So Hey Zay, um, YouTube, Hey Zay, no play. Um, Everything is pretty much Hey Zay. So that's how you can find me. And um, and you still laid back on YouTube, right? Yeah, it's still technically laid back. Yeah. You can like find it as both. A-I-D-B-A-Q-Q? Yep. Yeah. So, yes. Um, and I'll have all that linked in the bottom so y'all can check him out. And, yeah, thank y'all for listening. And I will see y'all next week. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamond, S-T-Y-L-Z, at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's going to be all right. Oh, don't you worry about a thing. Little 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 little